Hello guys. Happy freaking Thursday when you're listening to this. It's actually a Friday when I'm recording this and it's a few weeks before you would be listening to it. And I'm just feeling like today is giving unhinged for me because I don't know what it is this week. The astrology girlies are saying that Mercury is in retrograde which is super convenient because then I can just blame everything that happens on that. Love it. But this week, it's like the week of April 23rd. It's the 28th today. It has been so freaking weird, guys. And I've sat here trying to record this intro for like the past 40 minutes, and I've given up on trying to make it polished because it just wasn't working. So we're just diving in today. You know, I'm just saying, welcome. If you're new here, my name is Mallory Page. I'm a registered dietitian. I typically do a better intro. This podcast is created or was created and is run because of the fact that I want to talk about nutrition, wellness, fitness, body image, recovery topics in a non-diet way. Because as you guys probably know, there is a lot of crap out there that is really influenced by diet culture. And Quite frankly, I'm sick of seeing it. So I hope that as you listen to this, it helps you to make decisions on how you want to implement different trends and things into your life and makes your life better at the end of the day. I am currently recording this on a Friday very early for me. I usually record these weekly because I almost feel like we're having weekly debriefs together. I genuinely wish that we could all chat during the podcast, but obviously that's not how a podcast works. Other than at least now they have the Spotify feature where you guys can make some comments, which I am loving if you are a Spotify listener. I do some polls and comments down there. But I'm doing that because we are headed out to Europe in five days. I'm so freaking excited. I cannot believe it. And I had a story that I was thinking about that ties into today's podcast topic. So I went to go pack for this trip. And one thing about me before I start, I love sweatpants. I like comfort. I work from home. So, you know, I like to do business on the top if I need to, which is not even that common. Comfort on the bottom. But also, I am just a sweatpants girly. Like, a leggings girly, a sweatpants girly, a jeans girly, we're all different, you know? And that's cool. That's what I like about it. Not saying it's better to do sweatpants or to do leggings. I like them all. It's just that typically in my lounging day-to-day, I'm a sweatpants girl. Now, here is why this is important. Because I went to go start packing my little capsule wardrobe for Europe, which also I need to know. Are you a amazing packer where you can just like throw in five different things that all match together and like crush the carry-on game? Or are you like me where you think I need to have every possible option ever, but then in reality you get to be on vacation and like none of it matches and you also, you basically laid your grave or that's not the saying. You dug your grave. You didn't lay your grave. Ignore. You dug your grave because nothing is matching and you just have a bunch of options that don't go together. I am trying to be like the carry-on girl, especially for this trip. So I go and I'm like, okay, I just need that one good pair of jeans. Go to try on my jeans. None of them are fitting. None of them. I'm like, oh crap. Because if you are a woman, maybe a man too. I guess I don't know that much about the intimate shopping for the intimate experience of shopping for men's jeans. I don't know why I said the intimate experience. I 
don't intimately know the experience of shopping for men's jeans. Anyways, so if you are a woman, you know what the struggle is of shopping for jeans. So I hop online. I order, I'm not even exaggerating, nine pairs of jeans. It's insane. Yes, I know. But I knew that tons of them probably wouldn't fit. So I order them all. They come really quickly because I'm on a time crunch. And then I try all of them on last night. Guess how many fit me? Three. Three of them fit me. Mind you, I ordered different sizes of the same styles of jeans, brands of jeans, links. Like I did all of the stuff so that I was prepared. So out of those three, all of them looked kind of similar because I was going for the same style. So I got one and they're amazing. Okay. They are incredible, but it made me think about how in the past this process would have sent me into a tailspin in my ED days, even, even just my poor body image days. I could not handle something like my jeans not fitting or having to do try-ons of different jeans, including ones that don't even button on my body that are quote unquote supposed to be my size or even bigger than what I thought my size would be without literally losing my mind. And so it made me think about this topic of being in recovery versus being fully recovered. I'm going to leave the gene story there for you to ruminate on because we're going to come back around to it at the very end of this podcast. But also, if you have Europe Rex, we're going to be going to a lot of different places, including Rome, Florence, Amsterdam, London, and Switzerland, Geneva. Definitely send them my way. We want to do all the fun things, see all the fun things. So I would love to hear your recs because I know I have some listeners that live there, which is so cool. And last but not least, so that this intro doesn't go on for 600 years, Live Unrestricted is currently accepting applications for our May round and the spots are filling very, very quickly. There are consult calls available for the next couple weeks, but they are first come, first serve. And if you are interested in joining for this round, this is the time to act. Again, when you apply, it does not lock you into the program. You get a free consult call with my team and you'll go over and make sure it's the right fit and all of that good stuff. So that's my only announcement. And now we're just going to dive into the whole topic of recovery and the whole idea of being recovered versus in recovery forever. So I think this is such an important topic to talk about because there are so many flavors and colors and stages of recovery, and it can just be really overwhelming at times when you're in it and also at times when you're not even in it and you're thinking about going into it. Also, recovery, it can be a slow process. Everyone's journey is different, But many people, it can take years for them to feel like they get to a space of full recovery. If yours is even more than yours, it's decades, or if yours is less and it's months, that's all normal. There's no such thing as a way that recovery is supposed to look. But in this episode, we will go over the typical stages of recovery and then the different ideologies behind what you should expect in terms of 
the end goal of recovery. So I first thought it would be interesting to share one viewpoint on recovery that is you are in recovery forever. Now, I do want to say this is not something that I personally believe in for myself at least or that I often share with my clients and I'll explain why that is. But in saying that, that doesn't mean that I think that this is bad or wrong or that you shouldn't do this. And I will give more explanation towards how you should kind of think about these two and decide what's right for you more as we go on. But to initially just explain this, this whole idea essentially says that you are always in recovery from your ED for the rest of your life. So this is a very similar idea to being a sober addict. If someone has had substance addiction and they reach sobriety, they are still considered an addict, but they are a sober addict. Part of the reason for this language in the addiction community is because there is always a risk that they might, for lack of a better term, fall off the wagon or relapse. That is because if they do have just one drink or one even gateway type of drug or whatever it may be that for them would be problematic, they are breaking their sobriety and they are putting themselves at a high potential for going back into relapse. So for them, they do have to stay sober for the rest of their lives if they want to maintain that sobriety that they were hoping to achieve in this journey. And this is how it will be for the rest of their lives. Now, there are some beliefs that people recovering from an eating disorder are similar to this, that essentially it's like you can never have that drink again or you can never be the same after you've had your eating disorder. And so therefore, you should basically consider yourself to be in recovery from that eating disorder forever because you are always at risk of relapsing and falling back into your eating disorder. Now, as I mentioned, this isn't the personal belief that I hold, but I still believe there are very useful sentiments that people can get out of this idea. And if it aligns with you, that's amazing. The reason why some people find this to be helpful is because eating disorders can take a really long time to recover from for some people. And if you're rushing into this quote-unquote fully recovered space, you might not take all the necessary steps to get there, or you might think that you're fully recovered when in actuality you're really not and you are continuing to perpetuate your eating disorder behaviors but you're just thinking that you're no longer doing that. So for someone that is in that longer recovery period, for whatever reason that that may be, this actually could be a really comforting mindset to adopt. And accepting that idea that recovery is forever, it may be more motivating because they feel like they are always taking steps towards getting to that end goal of feeling really good and their recovery, and they don't have this pressure of trying to hit this certain marker of fully recovered. And this really does embrace the journey of recovery itself. So, you know, if this sounds like something that could work for you and it feels less stressful to almost imagine that recovery isn't 
this finish line, so to speak, but more just allowing yourself to be on an ongoing journey and mind frame of being the healthiest version of yourself, free of your eating disorder more and more each day, then that's amazing. So if this idea is motivating to you as I go through it, please do not let anything else I'm going to say in this podcast deter you from sticking with this idea. If this idea feels overwhelming to you or stressful or makes you feel kind of hopeless, like you'll be in this forever, I have another viewpoint that I can share with you as well. But I do think that one thing I want to go over before I I explain the opposite viewpoint is the stages of recovery. Because if we go from the viewpoint that recovery is forever into a end goal of being fully recovered, we kind of need to understand what stages we would be walking through. So there is no official website or list where I generated this information. This is very speculative. It's mostly from me having worked with hundreds of women on their eating disorders or on disordered eating. And I've noticed these type of patterns and other practitioners have also noticed similar patterns, even if they have different names or different characterizing habits within the different stages. And you have to remember that This whole idea that I'm presenting is on a spectrum. This isn't graduating between stages or that you'll just go from one to the other and it's this perfect linear process. There is always going to be a ton of variation from person to person and situation to situation on how you walk through recovery. But let's just get into explaining a little bit more about these steps. So starting with step one or stage one is probably a better way to say it. Just starting to pursue recovery. So when you're just starting to pursue recovery, we are making very small, and I don't mean small as an insignificant or easy. I mean small as in just taking those initial steps to get to a place where you are actively for the first time or for the first time in a renewed sense, like if you've had a relapse and you're going back to this, trying to fight against the eating disorder. So this could look like working on eating enough food, starting to introduce fear foods, possibly taking out exercise or starting to get aware of that cessation of other unhealthy or disordered behaviors, you know, trying to quit tracking or body checking or purging or self-harm. It is essentially taking a survey for all the things that are contributing to your eating disorder. And it may feel like, depending on the different options that you use for actually pursuing recovery, that you are almost just sporadically picking some of these things to try to fight against Or if you're going into a full recovery facility or working with a really comprehensive team, you may start doing all of these things at once. So that start of recovery, I would say, is the most different for everybody because there's no two people that go about the pursuit of recovery in the same way. And some are really intense and just like start it off and others are really gradual. With that being said, it's hard to say the specific habits that are involved in this stage. If you are going into an eating disorder treatment facility, there is a chance or there's a high likelihood, I should say, that they're putting you on some sort of structured meal plan. If you're doing this on your own, 
that is less likely, but you may start trying to have more frequency or pushing the amounts of food that you're eating more than before. What I will say for sure is that this stage is often the hardest stage, and I don't say that to be unmotivating. I actually say it to make you feel more motivated because in this point in time, you're having to prioritize your physical health before you've had the chance to do the mental work. I always say that if we were to essentially look at your eating disorder voice or your unhealthy voice like a scale against your healthy voice or your normal quote-unquote voice, the ED voice is super high up and the healthy voice is super low and we're trying to change those. Like if you were to pull a lever on either side and the other one goes up and down, that's what we're trying to do where then the healthy voice it comes out on top. But at this point, the the unhealthy voice, the eating disorder voice, it's louder. And so you are having to actively fight against this loud, mean, negative voice and do things that are super, super hard, especially if you don't have support in this stage. It is tough because your ED voice is so smart and it will know how to co-opt your emotions and the mental beliefs that you have that may be incorrect around food and body image and exercise to motivate you to still follow your disordered eating or disordered habits. That being said, you will also likely still be struggling with really being against or having a hard time with body image having the desire to restrict or engage in the habits that are the most centered in your ED, and it can feel really emotionally distressing. You also have likely not fully unpacked the underlying causes for the ED in the the stage, which contributes to being stressful, confusing, may not have even accepted that you need help. Going back to what I was saying at the beginning, everyone's at a different point in this moment. And Our main goal, depending on where you're at, is more medical and physical stability. So even if you're not actively thinking about that, if you were doing it on your own, that would be the goal if you were to work with someone. And the last thing that I'll say about this stage is that this is the hardest stage in terms of being triggered because it's really easy to be triggered by something you see or hear or someone's comments because it's still so new. And as I mentioned, the reason why I say this is the hardest stage is not to be unmotivating, but actually to be motivating that if you can get past this, and especially if you can get support in this stage, you will be on a better trajectory than you were before. You are already started. You're getting over the hardest hump, which is just doing that starting, and good things are going to come, which you'll see as evidenced by stage two where you kind of start focusing on food more and creating healthier habits. So in this stage, you are more so accepting of the fact that there are actions that you need to take to fight against this unhealthy voice. So you may start trying to build more habits such as eating more consistently and doing so more regularly, incorporating more of those foods that you're afraid of or more rest days or whatever it may be, you're doing so in a way that is more consistent or regular or with more conviction than you are doing with the first stage. 
this could still be a time where if you're in a facility or if you're working with the team, they still have you on that structured meal plan. If you are working with something and or with someone and it's maybe less necessary for you to have a structured meal plan, they may have you on meal goals. As a disclaimer, I'm never giving suggestions on what you should be doing at these different stages. If you would like that kind of feedback, it's really important to go to a team so that they can see what you're doing. So just wanted to say that first. But the cool thing is about this stage is you're beginning to learn more about what foods you genuinely enjoy, what can come of actually starting recovery. You know, there are the highs and lows, but there's a little bit less distress, a little bit less overwhelm. And even though you're struggling still likely with body image and still having to work on unpacking the reasons for your eating disorders and learning or eating disorder, learning the critical skills, all of that stuff, you are taking steps that you hadn't taken before and you're seeing things that you likely haven't seen. This is still a stage though where you can feel really easily triggered and there is more power that you have in resisting engaging with those things, but at the same time, the desire may still be there. And you do have to make an active effort still in this stage to continue forth on the journey of recovery, but it's not as bad for most people as that first stage of deciding to even start. Once you get through stage two, you enter into quasi-recovery I work with a lot of people that are in stage two and three. Honestly, I work with people at all different stages, but a lot of people in stage two and three are in live unrestricted. And quasi-recovery, in this stage, everything varies so much. Everyone's version of quasi-recovery is so different. But I will say that you typically have done a lot of work from that first stage in changing habits that you were engaging in, likely the most extreme habits that you were doing, you're not doing anymore, not doing in the same way that you were. So maybe your eating habits are more solid or more consistent. Maybe if you were eating super structured on a meal plan, you're able to have more fun with the foods that you're picking. You feel it's easier to fuel your body with enough food without so much effort. And you also, in this stage, are really able to start focusing more on the mental aspect of recovery because that physical threat of medical instability or just the challenge of even taking physical steps in recovery has subsided from how strong it was in the first part. And now you're able to start to think about, okay, why is my identity attached to this? How am I going to formulate a new identity or a changed version of my identity? How am I going to look at my past experiences and see the role they played and start to set boundaries? Maybe I can allow myself to experience the grief of losing this eating disorder and what this eating disorder did to me. And you may even start noticing this problematic behavior in other people and how common it is and starting to work through the role of diet culture and family experiences or whatever else it may be in how you feel. And because you can recognize these things, there is still a chance now that you have more things that come up that feel triggering or upsetting. But at the same time, you don't find them as distressing anymore. You can accept them more or work through them more quickly. 
And although you have to be cautious still with your behaviors in this phase, because a lot of times people are holding on to habits that they're unaware of or able to recognize triggers, but not able to see how they are making them change their actions or whatever else it may be, you have definitely taken steps to likely not want to go back to the very beginning. And that's a huge, huge step. This is a great, every stage and every step you take is amazing. Getting to quasi-recovery can feel like a really amazing celebration. And the hardest part about quasi-recovery is that there are still things to work through that we are often afraid to do. So you may feel like body image is a little better, but you're still resisting buying new clothes that you're comfortable in. Or you may feel like your food is so much better than before, but you're still resisting full freedom with what you eat for different fears. Or exercise, you may feel more balanced, and yet at the same time, you are afraid of fully letting yourself rest. So you've really emotionally committed in this stage, but there is still that desire that comes up to hold on to your control mechanisms. And that is what can keep you from fully healing. So you kind of have to make that decision at that point, again, that you're going to go into the last stage. It's really easy to get stuck in quasi-recovery thinking, well, this is so much better than I used to be. But I don't know if I can get any better. Maybe I should just stay here. I guess I shouldn't have said but. I'm so much better than I used to be, and maybe this is where I should stay. But I'm coming in and saying, but full freedom is so much better. Quasi-recovery isn't the end goal. It's amazing that you've gotten this far, but we can still do more so that you can fully have the most fulfilled life. So that's where we go into stage four, which is more the fine-tuning Eating is pretty habituated at this point. You might even feel like you can get a lot more joy than you used to. And you're not necessarily triggered by fear foods or restaurants or those type of things and feel a little bit more comfortable in who you are becoming. And even figured out most of the major contributing reasons as to why you developed an eating disorder and have emotionally impacted them. But body image is still coming up and that can be what can affect your behavioral choices. A lot of the time, body image, and it can be something else too. It could be a trauma that you've experienced or mental illness can come in at this stage to try to kind of hold us back from that full recovery. This is what would affect you the most. And so it's trying to learn a coping mechanism toolkit so that you don't fall backwards from a change that is out of your norm. And last but not least, we get to stage five, which is the full recovery. In this stage, eating feels easy. You don't think about it so much. You may even feel like you love eating, or now you just feel like you can be more nonchalant to it. You don't get triggered easily, but you may feel annoyed or feel pity for someone's disordered behavior or just empathy or sympathy for them. You don't need a meal plan. Maybe you're engaging in intuitive eating or figured out an eating pattern that works for you. You know, you've processed a lot of this grief around eating disorders and body image. You've let go of that mental space. You've solidified a new way of life. And you're just so much less bothered by anything that you see, whether it be calories on a menu that you can't control, having an accidental slip up at the doctor where they tell you your weight, 
or even just getting self-conscious at some point about the way you're looking a certain day. And even if there is a rare chance in this stage that you're severely or extremely triggered, you have the mental and emotional tools to, tools to prevent you sorry, from relapsing. In this final stage, losing weight, obsessing over your body, all of that stuff that was likely motivating you to continue these habits just no longer seems tempting because you know that you're not willing to give up your current joys, your freedom, the life that you've built in the pursuit of those things. So after going through all the stages, I'm sure you can probably see that towards the latter stages, things get a little bit blurry. And that's why I was saying that these are so ambiguous. There are just no specific things that we can say, oh yeah, If you're doing this, it means that you're in this stage. And if it's not helpful for you to think about your recovery in stages, do not do it, okay? I'm someone that likes to be able to visualize things and to feel like I'm making progress in a more ambiguous process. It makes things feel more tangible to me. And some of you guys may feel that too, but every single person is different. And I just hope mostly that from this, you get that there are lots of ways that you're making progress throughout the recovery journey, no matter what. It's not just starting recovery and ending recovery or fully recovered. And also, I hope you see how you can set yourself up for success within these stages. So the biggest thing that we're thinking about when we're going through recovery is not relapsing, right? It's not taking steps back. And so when looking at the stages, I feel like it can give a more clear depiction of when you may be at a higher risk for that and how to negate that. So in general, even when you are in those latter stages, like the quasi-recovery or even that fine-tuning stage, there is still a risk for relapsing. And that risk is something that you want to keep in mind. It is easy to get what I would say as, or what I would describe as overly confident in where you're at, especially in the quasi-recovery stage, and start to do something that is putting you at risk for falling back down the rabbit hole, even if it doesn't seem like it. So with all of that being said, it is better to err on the side of caution in terms of this fully recovered or not conversation because you do not want to take away all the progress that you've made. And I'll talk a little bit more about how I think about this and being fully recovered and how that affects my choices even now. But I feel like the biggest thing that I hope that you take from this is whether you view an eating disorder as an ongoing process for the rest of your life, or you view it as something that has stages with the end goal of being fully recovered, knowing where you are at in your own personal process is the most important thing. And that's why it can be good to at least have an idea of what you are hoping to get as you go throughout the journey. So I know I said that I would share my perspective and I would bring it back to the genes. So it seems like it's time to do that now. Personally, 
I do believe in the idea of becoming fully recovered. And I feel like the biggest reason why I believe in that idea is because that's what I've experienced myself. And that is what has been more motivating to many of my clients and also something that many of my clients have been able to reach. And the reason why I'm passionate about at least sharing this option as something that someone can believe in is because of the fact that for many people, the idea that you're in recovery for the rest of your life is really unmotivating. Think about that, right? The whole rest of your life, even after all this work that you put in for your eating disorder, you just have to think that, or all the work you put in to recover from your eating disorder, you just have to believe that you're just going to have to continue to focus on that forever. Oh my gosh. Like that's just for me did not feel motivating. I, I almost felt like, why would I even want to recover then? If I have to worry about this forever, then what is the point of doing all of this emotional, mental, and physical work to then have to get to basically just a better stage of still having an eating disorder? Now, again, I'm not saying that that's what it means, but that is how it felt to me. And so I had to adopt this idea that there wasn't a finish line and that there was an end goal. And also developing the idea that there was an end goal in sight was important for me because it helped me to think about the stages that I was in. When I was going through my recovery, there was a long amount of time where I was staying in quasi-recovery, convincing myself that I was way further along than I actually was. And that idea of just being in recovery forever almost made me believe that "Mm, maybe this is where I'm meant to be. You know, I I just have to think about these things forever and food will just still be on my mind and exercise will still be on my mind. It's so much better than it was, but, you know, maybe this is what they mean of just always being aware of your eating disorder. But no, that's not why I, I wasn't in my full recovery and just still having to think about it every now and again, I was in quasi-recovery and I was doing things to hold me back from fully moving forward. So that is why I also need to be able to identify more of the stages because I wanted to push myself. And that's so many of the people that I'm working in Live Unrestricted, again, that are saying these things to themselves and even to others about where they're at. Now, when it comes to then the idea of being fully recovered, you may think, okay, well then what makes you decide that you're fully recovered? I know you said that there are these different things that can kind of define the different stages, but how do you know? This is such a hard thing to describe because it's so different for everyone. And my answer that is very hard to actually pinpoint is you reach full recovery when you're not even recognizing it. One day, you just all of a sudden think to yourself, oh my gosh, I haven't been doing any of these things. I'm not thinking about food. I'm not thinking about my body. I'm just neutral. I'm able to work through any situation. Even if I'm triggered, I'm not feeling distressed about any of this stuff. It's just not even on my mind. And you almost have this aha moment where you realize you freaking made it. But to make that more tangible when I've really ruminated on what it means, it's the fact that I just can never, ever, ever, ever imagine going back to my eating disorder. It doesn't even feel like that person that had an eating disorder was me. It feels like trying to imagine going back to being five years old. That's how distant it feels to me. It's just something that I don't feel is on the near horizon. It's like a million steps away. 
And so in saying that, you can see how when you feel so distanced from something, it doesn't actually feel that scary anymore or that it's a very pressing threat. This is very similar to a relationship. Let's say you had a toxic partner and you guys broke up. In that initial stage, it's super hard, right? First, deciding that you want to break up with them is super hard. That's starting. And then walking through the steps to make yourself feel better and better and distance yourself from them more and more and more to the point where you at some point recognize, oh my gosh, I can't believe that I was ever thinking I would be in that relationship forever, or I can't believe I ever was allowing myself to be treated that way, or whatever it was. And it doesn't even feel like there's any desire to go back to that anymore. It doesn't mean that you never think of it, and it also doesn't mean that you don't take lessons from that relationship into your life to help you to be aware to not fall into it again, but you don't want to go back to that person anymore. Now, the element of taking lessons from your past toxic relationship, in my metaphor, or from your eating disorder is super important. And this is one of the ways that I protect myself in continuing to stay in the space of being fully recovered. And also what I suggest to my clients that align with this idea. So I know that things that created my eating disorder included my perfectionistic tendencies, my mental health struggles of anxiety and depression, my desire to feel like I am enough, my tendencies for wanting to be in in control, my refusal at the time to work through the trauma that I had experienced, and me becoming really distanced from who I really was, not being in tune to my emotions, right? Those are just a few things. Now, all of those things are not just eating disorder specific. They could show up in many and do show up in many other areas of my life. So I continually work on those areas in my life still in therapy and actively to make sure that I am not allowing them to become something that are unhealthy just in general. Now, furthermore, because I know these things about myself and because I know how I work, I don't engage in things that I feel would be potentially leading me down a path that could be triggering and lead me into disordered habits. That's especially why I will not actively choose any weight loss or body changes. And that's why when I tried on my jeans and they didn't fit, then I ended up just getting different ones instead of trying to fit into those ones. That's also why... I would never do something like a bikini competition or shredding for my wedding or whatever else it is. Because for me personally, I have extremist tendencies with my personality and perfectionistic tendencies. I would not do something like go run a marathon or compete in some competition. Now, this for me is more specific. I know people that have gotten to fully recovered and being able to do these things. I do think it's very important that you are fully recovered and Also, I'm not at all saying that running a marathon is something that means like you have disordered eating. That's just not the case. But I'm saying for me, knowing my tendencies with exercise and just my overall mental health tendencies, it's not a good fit. It's too easy to take it to too much of an extreme. Another thing, I don't weigh myself. Or if I go to the doctor, I don't have them weigh me. Now, I've seen the number before. It doesn't trigger me or upset me. But I just don't care. And I don't want to ever get into a mindset where I could care. I 
I'm trying to think. There's not that many things. There, I feel like there was one more that I wanted to mention. Oh, if I am ever dealing with something, so like I was dealing with a chronic illness. A lot of people that have eating disorders end up dealing with chronic illnesses. I will not go back into restricting foods or going on diets or anything of that nature. I mean, even just in general, right? I'm always going to continue to intuitively eat unless, of course, I have something like an allergy that comes up like I'm celiac, which I'm not, but you never know, right? Just saying something like that, not just going to restrict to do so. So these are the things that I do personally to just continue to keep myself in a safe space. And I feel like if you imagine how we all navigate life, right, we do the same things. So if you have a tendency to attract or to be attracted to someone that is toxic for you, right, maybe from your upbringing, you are not always going to be in a toxic relationship, but you do put things in place to make sure that you're not falling into one. And so all of that being explained, this is why I personally resonate with the idea of being fully recovered. That's how I navigate being fully recovered. But also that is the whole kind of argument that is had around the idea of being in recovery forever or being fully recovered. And so please don't let my personal opinion sway you and make you decide everything that exists in the recovery space is different for every single person. And I really hope more than anything that after listening to this episode, you're able to align with an ideology that feels the most helpful to you to push you through your recovery and get you to the space where you feel good. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're fully recovered or in recovery forever, whatever it is. All that matters is that you feel better and that you're free of your eating disorder. I know there's a lot in this episode and a lot to digest. If you have questions about it or if you want to talk through it, please reach out to me. Shoot me a DM. I'm always here. If you were going through this and you were really resonating, especially with what I was saying about that quasi-recovery or that second and third and stage or even that fourth stage where you're fine-tuning, Live Unrestricted could be an incredible fit for you. It is specifically designed for those stages that people get stuck in. And we utilize so many tools from group coaching, one-on-one coaching, weekly goal setting, a community group weekly resources, unlimited 24-7 questions, me, two other dietitians in the group, and so much more, plus eight groups worth of, well, after doing eight groups, a plan that truly works in terms of content that's released each week. I know that I talk about it a lot, but the reason I do so is because I've seen it change so many lives, and I just am so passionate about people being able to get to that space of full recovery because I know how good it feels and I know what it feels like to be stuck. So that is linked down below and just remember that that deadline for our next group is coming up really soon. If you have any episodes that you want to see from me, questions for me, I already said questions, double if you have questions, you can also submit them in the website that we have. It is linked down below as well. And so is all of the other stuff that you may need. I am so appreciative of you being, being here. 
and I can't wait to talk with you next week.